Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. All right, it's game week. Um, both of us are going to be in Fort Worth for the TCU Colorado game. Uh, and then I'm going to turn it into a double header and go to LSU Florida State on Sunday. By the way, the, kick, the temperature for kickoff is supposed to be 100 degrees. I'll be up in the air-conditioned press box. How do you do two hours down on the field in a suit in 100-degree weather? You get sweaty, Stu. That's what uh, happens. But I'll say this. It's a lot easier to do two hours than if you're a sideline reporter this time of year and do six hours because basically you're out there. You're really hustling the first two hours before the game. And then you're hustling back and forth for most of it. And it's not like you go back inside or there's no, you're basically on your feet the whole time. Maybe you sit down at one of the benches for halftime for 10 minutes. But it's um, like, I remember just being totally wiped at this time of year for these games, especially when it's this hot. And like I said, you're in a suit. It's not like you're in like casual clothes or anything like that. I can remember you calling me a lot after those early season games. Like, for some reason in my mind, you were in Arizona, and just you were you were as wiped out as I've ever heard anyone. Um, let's talk some of these. We're not going to necessarily do game previews every week, but it is the first week. And let's start with the big one in Orlando. So what are you expecting? Um, we've got two top 10 teams here. Both of them have playoff aspirations. You've got Jaden Daniels leading LSU. You've got Jordan Travis leading Florida State. What are you expecting or what are you hoping to see from this game? Sue, from everything I've heard, Jaden Daniels has really taken a big step forward in his progression after having a really good debut season at LSU. Everything I've heard is he's not as gun shy in terms of how he's seeing the field and processing and he has a better understanding of everything they're doing. That all bodes well. The part that gives me a little bit of concern is the running back room has been banged up. Um, that Armani Goodwin, Josh Williams have not had full camps. They're not going to have uh, the most talented running back in the room, John Emery, for a while, for a little bit. <laughs> He's definitely not playing this game. I I wouldn't expect to see him maybe for a couple of weeks. If you know, and and that part I think will hurt. I do think um, you know I know what the spread is. It's two and a half for LSU, and. As much as I, I'm very encouraged by what I heard about Jaden Daniels, I'm I'm leaning towards Florida State in this game. No Mason Smith. He's the most talented player in the defensive front for LSU. He's got the NCAA suspension. He's sitting out this game. Yeah, I think right now I'm leaning towards Florida State in this game. Well, I've been very uh, I've been very. I mean, I think I had LSU as high as number two in my offseason top twenty-five. I think this team is stacked. I think Jaden Daniels is a Heisman contender. Now, I also think Florida State's very talented. Um, I think Jared Verse could be your you know, defensive player of the year in college football. When, when you enter a situation like this and it's a close call and there's an SEC team involved, I pick the SEC team. The track record is, in these kind of games is, is pretty one-sided. Now, well, I don't remember who I picked. I know who won that game. Florida State did. I get it. If you remember, it took one of the most spectacular, one of the most uh, biggest train wrecks of a special teams performance by LSU uh, for that to happen, and it was still a very close game. So I'm also a little concerned. I've I've thought about it in the offseason as it gets really close, and we talk about Florida State as a playoff contender. If they lose this game, do you realize there's a very real scenario that they start two and two because the fourth game is at Clemson? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that doesn't bode well. I do think that, you know, we, we, Max and I did our story on the impact transfers. They brought in two big physical receivers to go with Johnny Wilson. I think that's going to be a matchup problem for a lot of teams. And I think it's going to be, honestly, a matchup problem for LSU, which right now I think one of their biggest question marks on the defense, their biggest question mark is the cornerbacks. And I think that's something Jordan Travis can take advantage of. And by the way, one thing I'm really interested to watch. So Harold Perkins Jr. as a freshman last year was arguably, you know, first team All-America caliber player. Sometimes it's hard for guys like that, like think about Willie Anderson last year, to live up to the hype when it's already that high. But the wrinkle with LSU is they brought in Omar Spates from Oregon State, three-time All-Pac-12 linebacker, to play alongside Harold Perkins that has a chance to be the best, you know, linebacker tandem in America. I don't think that most people outside of the Pac-12 have ever seen Omar Spates play. So his debut is on the big stage on Monday night. This is going to be a highly viewed game. I'm glad the first one we went into were on opposite sides of. Because sometimes we'll do these things and it's like we agree on every single one of them. So that's good. Which one do you want to move to next? Let's move to an earlier game. It's To me, uh, I'm curious to see what happens Nebraska-Minnesota. You know, it's Matt Rule's debut in in uh, Lincoln. It's a road game. I think they start the first two games on the road, right? Jeff Sims, who people inside Nebraska, including Matt Rule, especially Matt Rule, are super high on. He was very shaky at Georgia Tech. He didn't finish the pre... You know, he got banged around the last couple of seasons as well. Um, I am not as optimistic about Nebraska. I think it's a little bit of... I think Matt Rule was a great hire for them. But I'm a little more cautious about Nebraska right now after, and he's not Scott Frost, and it's not fair to, to, to make this comparison, but I don't think he walks in and like, a, wow, there's talent everywhere. I, I, don't, I think it's the opposite. I feel like they're, they're pretty average all over the place. Um, you know, Minnesota has to replace Tanner Morgan after, you know, their running back room, which has been so deep. Um, there's there's no mo back there. He was a he was just a workhorse and a just picked up tons of yards. But I think they they're still a big physical team. I think they're pretty well coached. They're always good on defense. Uh, the spread is seven right now for the Gophers. Right now, I am thinking the Gophers are going to cover that. Do you agree? I think I do. Um, though I am concerned. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I think it will be hard for Minnesota to have another kind of nine win season because of all the things you said like we've just become so accustomed to them being so deep and stacked at running back but trey potts transferred to penn state um it's just not maybe guys will emerge but what i do know about minnesota is that defense has become like a lot of teams in the big 10 west something you can count on nebraska you know every time you got a first year coach it's a bit of a wild card but I think that's a pretty big rebuilding job he walked into. Now, Jeff Sims had his moments at Georgia Tech. Maybe he'll come out and look like a completely different quarterback. But I feel like he, his moments were mostly in his freshman year, and he never really followed up on that. So um, if you want to tell me Minnesota wins but doesn't cover, I'd, I'd buy that. But I think I actually think if Nebraska goes in and beats Minnesota, like that's a big upset for Matt. You know, very encouraging result for Matt Rule's first game. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, 
the, the running back, I think, to watch for the Gophers when they've had so many productive guys, Sean Tyler, who's from P.J. Flex old school. I mean, when old, I mean, he was at Western Michigan a while ago. That's where Sean Tyler came from. He was a 1,000-yard back last year. I suspect he will be a 1,000-yard back this year. Um, yeah, fascinated by what we're getting from Nebraska. There's another big game on, uh, and it's a, you know, it's a rematch of last year's opener, where Anthony Richardson looked great for the Gators. Uh, this time the game is Florida at Utah. The Utes are only a four-point favorite, which surprised me. The spread is that small. I get it. You know, you have some. Uh, you know, you have Cam Rising coming off a knee injury, so there's question mark there. Are you surprised the spread wasn't bigger though? Because you're you had the Gators as a three and nine team. No, I, I don't. I'm not surprised it's not bigger because of the Cam Rising situation. I know. I noticed it's been fluctuating quite a bit though. So maybe some people in Vegas are hearing he's out and then some people are hearing he's playing. Um, you know, I think if you look, I think back to last year's game in Gainesville, Utah should have won that game. And then he rising throws that pick in the end zone. It was also the Anthony Richardson, September Heisman game. He did not necessarily play like that much the rest of the season. Uh, but I think, you know, Utah's we've talked about, it's a very hard place to play. They've been amped up for this game all off season don't have a whole lot of faith in Graham Mertz. So, you know, I think Utah wins and Utah covers. Yeah, I would, I agree with you. I mean, I think Utah is still a really physical team with a fully formed identity. They've been that way for a while. I felt like last year it took Anthony Richardson to be borderline superhuman to beat them. And I think I'm a little higher on Graham Mertz than you are, but I I don't think he's going to give them the same kind of problems that, that Richardson did last year. Like that's a tough place to play, also, by the way. I think it's one of the toughest places to play in the Pac 12, if not quite honestly, the toughest place to play. So I think they cover that game handily. Um, but uh I don't know. Handily, I, huh? You think what do you give me a score or give me I a margin? By double digits. Double but I don't digits. think it's gonna I don't think they're gonna blow them out. But if you told me the spread was 9.5, I'd be like, yeah, I believe that. Even Rising or not, I just think Utah is a really, really good team, and it's a really tough place to play. I think Utah's also on a bit of a, even though they won the Pac-12 last year, there's a bit of a special, I think their defense is going to be on a bit of a redemption tour. That was not a, you know, up to Utah standards defense last year. Um, Now, they Clark Phillips is a big loss at cornerback, no question about that. But there's still, you know, you've got still some, I mean, it's a very experienced defense. I think the last couple of years it's, it's skewed a little bit younger. So I, I don't think, I don't necessarily think they're going to blow Florida off the field. Florida has that still has athletes, but um, I do think Utah wins that comfortably. We'll say comfortably. All right. So we so go to game. big noon. Yeah. The game we're both going to be at in Fort Worth. It's a big spread. It's 20 and a half. Um, you know, obviously TCU just played in the national title game, whereas Colorado was a one-win team last year. So it shouldn't be surprising that it's basically a three-touchdown spread, especially when it's a home game. I'm actually a little surprised that it's not even a bigger spread, um, given, but maybe maybe Vegas is buying into the hype around Dion. I mean, again, you know, they're still a 20-and-a-half-point road underdog, but still, you know, it's a one-win team last year. Do you think it would? Did you think it would be even bigger than that? Yes, but 
you know, you just said they're a one win team last year. I don't understand how anybody, how do they, I would love to have a Vegas Ozmaker on and be like, how did you set the line for this game? Because Colorado is basically like an expansion team in pro sports. There, there, there's nothing about last year's team that would inform anything about this game. They have some big name transfers. They have a whole lot of transfers. We're not all that familiar with, but basically it's an entirely new team. And I have no idea. I don't expect that. I don't think it's realistic to turn over the entire roster in a year and, and win a lot of games, but who the heck knows? <laughs> Maybe they're going to keep it close for four quarters. I don't know. I, TCU lost a bunch of guys, but there's still a whole lot of guys starting on that. They're going to be starting that game uh, on uh, Saturday that played in the national championship game. Colorado is a blank slate. So I don't even think I would want to, I wouldn't want to bet on this game, no matter what the spread is. I just, I just feel very sure that TCU is going to win. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our uh, our Pac-12 USC guy, Antonio Morales, and I did a story that's going to run later this week on The Athletic. We talked to a lot of coaches and staffers around the Pac-12 about just what do they expect from Colorado this year. And one of the coaches I talked to who was an O-line coach in the league, you know, he was like, I have, he goes, if Deion Sanders, like, wins a bunch of games he's like the greatest coach in college football because this team was so and he used the s word you know he was like i couldn't believe the last two years how bad they were and but then we start i asked him we basically went through their entire o-line you know group on the on uh in their roster and i said you know i'd, I'd mention a name and see if he recognized them or remembered them and there was probably because remember, this old this is to me the biggest mystery of all this, and the, my biggest hesitation of why I think maybe they win can win three games or four, despite some top level talent. Right, Jimmy Horn could play almost anywhere in the Pac-12. Travis Hunter absolutely could. Alton McCaskill, if he's healthy, absolutely could. Shador is is a by all accounts a very good quarterback. Uh, Demoy Kennedy came from Alabama. If he's healthy, he could play anywhere in the Pac-12. 
But when it comes to the O line, none of these guys had been were, were there in the spring, like we were playing. So when we went through it, there was probably like five guys this guy knew of. He was like, "Man, we looked at that kid. We didn't take him." You know, we kind of went through, it. and this is not, you know, at a top. This is not at one of the best um, Pac-12 programs. He was like, "There's kids on there." He's like, "Man, I'm surprised they took that kid." Or I remember this kid, or whatever. There's a couple, pl- a couple O linemen, including the biggest one, um, who 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 came uh, from Kent State, where their offensive coordinator came from and so he has certainly familiar and those guys have started i'm sure those guys will be cornerstones of of a rebuilt offensive line but just how that comes together man oof that's gonna be that's a tough ask um but as you said tcu has a lot of good players to replace when i talked to sunny dykes the other day he said this is the best collection of receivers he's ever been around and keep in mind that's like, a bold statement we, given who uh, the receivers were last year yeah, and two of those guys I saw at Chargers camp a couple of weeks ago, Quentin Johnston, who was the first-round pick, and Darius Davis, who might have been the fastest player in the Big 12 and maybe in college football. Those guys are not there anymore, but they loaded up on transfers too, especially in that receiver room. John, John Paul Richardson, really good player from Oklahoma State. Jack Besh, who was a really productive young receiver at LSU. Um, JoJo Earl, who who was from who played at Alabama. You have... The fastest of them all came from Lane Kiffin's program at Ole Miss. So they have some real weapons outside. And, you know, we'll see how Chandler Morris does in this offense now that Kendall Bryles is running it. I think he will do really well. So interested to see both sides of this. I feel bad for TCU. They played in the national championship game last year. And their season opener is entirely about the other team. I mean, your other employer was running promos during week zero of Dion, you know, riding in on the cowboy hat. They're saying this is the biggest college football opener in years. And it was like the only mention of TCU was this tiny little, tiny little mention of their name on the graphic. So if you're um, Sonny Dykes, wouldn't you want it that way? Oh yeah. I'm sure he's going to play that the heck up uh, in the press. Now, the one thing I will say is we were just talking about, you know, that coach you talked to doesn't, isn't that from like, how do you scout this game? If you're, t- I don't think they could like, maybe you go try to find tape of these guys from their other teams. You're going to definitely, what they're going to do film because of Sean Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can, can probably look at some of Jackson state and watch, you know, like Brett Bartoloni, who, you know, was an old pac 12 receiver for Wazoo when Leach was the head coach there. He was Dion's offensive coordinator. I think it's a different system that they're going to be running. But I'm sure the you know, maybe there'll be elements. The people I talk to who are coaching in the Pac-12 think they're going to be getting the ball out of Shador's hands fast because they think they're going to go tempo, go fast, because they just, I think they're leery. They're thinking they're going to be very leery of the offensive line. The other thing that's come up a little bit is people looked at some of the social media stuff and like, man, this team looks small too. So I think TC will win by a lot. Um thing is if if, if Colorado's going to win some games they got to do it early i think because where it's really going to catch up to them is the depth even if it turns out like hey they got some guys right out of the portal they didn't get 50 guys out of the portal that can play and injuries will happen and i think the depth will catch up to them later in the year moving over to saturday uh i mean moving over to, to sorry to later saturday the primetime game on abc is you is unc versus south carolina i believe unc is ranked 
and South Carolina is not, but South Carolina is like in the others receiving votes. Um, this is a toss up game to me. This is a hard one to call. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you have one guy in this on the South Carolina side and Spencer Rattler, who was once hyped to be a top, you know, top 10 draft pick quarterback early in his way early in his career at Oklahoma. And another guy in Drake May, who's right there with Caleb Williams. Um, Drake May is going into a different offensive system. Chip Lindsey's taken over from for uh, Phil Longo. It will be a little different. Um, I don't know. South Carolina is interesting because they pl- they obviously play some big opponents, and I felt like they finished last year in the second half of the season. You know, thumped Tennessee and did some really good things. I could see them. You know, the thing we just said about about Sonny Dykes having something he can rile up the team about if he wants to. Shane Beamer can absolutely do that. I think there's a lot of stuff going to happen. You know, like I'm curious to see, is this a Spencer Rattler coming out party to say, yeah, I'm not that guy people now think I am. Uh, I'm the other guy. You know, I I don't know what we're going to get from this. Because also, by the way, new offensive coordinator and it's South Carolina for him too. Um to me, this is a, this is a, I'm very curious. I don't know, like, I'm not as high on North Carolina as some other people. Like you said, they're a ranked team. I am, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what we're going to get from either one. I, I, I lean towards North Carolina because I have more confidence in Drake May than I honestly do on Spencer Rattler at this point, but I'm not much more, not much more in than that, to be honest. Um, I'm South Carolina. I'm picking South Carolina. I, I I don't know. You know, I think we both of us have a lot of respect for Gene Chizik as a defensive coordinator. But they were 115th in the country last year. The year before that, they were 105th. Uh, I don't know if there's an obvious answer there for them on that side of the ball. And then I'm just going to default to the same thing I did with LSU and Florida State. If it's the SEC versus ACC and it's a close call, I'm going to pick the SEC team. Yeah, I mean, I can't really fault that logic because that form often holds out. Correct. All right, you said you want us to pick an upset or an upset watch? Yeah, I feel like you're teed up and ready to go, and I bet I know what it is. Is it in my mailbag this morning? No, I didn't. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I will. a lot. (laughs) Uh, It's early. I haven't had a chance to read it. So this one, I ought to be honest, I... Did you tease this the other day on the podcast? I think you did. What, which one are you referring to? I think, and again, I could be totally wrong. I think you're picking Jonathan Smith's Beavers to go down. No, I know I'm not, even though oh. I really did. So. Uh, I was impressed by San Jose State. They're hosting the Beavers. But sticking them out in West, I don't think I really noticed this until this week. Do you know that Texas Tech opener is at Wyoming in prime time on CBS? Texas Tech turns around the next week and has Oregon and obviously a very anticipated game. I'm high on Texas Tech. You're high on Texas Tech. You're obviously I'd be lying if I said I know Wyoming's personnel that well. But you could absolutely see that happening. I mean, this is probably the biggest game in Laramie in I don't even know how long. Wow. What is the spread in this game? Uh, It's two touchdowns. Wow. Yeah, pick out game for my guy Colby Taylor, who is a big, big freak cornerback that they're excited about. I man, Wyoming's a good defensive team. I don't know that they can move the ball, but 
Yeah, look, I don't have any X's and O's reason for that. Just I just like, huh. You're gonna snowfall in Laramie and playing all. at a mountain in a Mountain West stadium on national primetime TV. There's some ingredients there. What about you? Can we take a step back on this? Like, do you think the primetime TV is gonna really make that big of a difference? Like, I mean, like I just think that place is gonna be rocking. I've never been to a Wyoming game. I couldn't even tell you what the atmosphere is like usually, but gosh, that's gotta be that's gotta be pretty. Uh, that's gonna be a pretty. I assume if it's possible to have a hostile atmosphere there. Now, the other reason I'm one of the reasons I'm doing this though is I was looking at the other games. And I didn't really see like that's an obvious upset pick. That's an obvious upset pick. But let me tell you, let me, you tell me yours. So I I just want to get back on this one. I don't think there's a going to be the perception wise, and I could be totally wrong. But for the folks in Laramie and Craig Bowl, I don't think there's going to be a big difference between having big CBS and CBS Sports Network come in there. I really don't. Not for the people in the program, for the fans. Like, I, I would love to know, maybe it's in their game notes. When's the last time Wyoming even played on a national network? Maybe when they had Prentice Dembo network. playing basketball. <laughs> uh Go ahead. Yeah. Um, Maybe Joe Tiller, the Joe Tiller era. They were pretty exciting. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's all. That is a while ago. Um, Stu, I almost anticipated your direction here of San Jose State has one game under their belt. Chevin Cordero is really good. I think they're a dangerous offensive team. But I I, I mean, that would be I would be going back on my word. I mean, I just did a radio interview this morning. You know, they always ask, like, who's a dark horse team out, not usual suspect you think could make the playoff? And I always say Oregon State. So, um, okay, tell me yours. And while you're doing that, I'm going to try to look up my Wyoming trivia question. I am going to take, and I don't know. Oof. This is going to be one where I think they just may end up covering. But if I had to pick an upset here, and I'm talking about, like, games that are, like, you know, kind of on the radar, I think – Riley Leonard and Duke mm. may, may trip up Clemson. I like it. I consider it. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not that confident in it, but um, I like that you're going there. I don't, yeah, I don't know that's that, the uh, one I'm going to pick. I can't see it happening, but I, I, it's an interesting pick. Yeah. Look, I mean, he's very talented. A lot of people think he's a, he's a first future first round quarterback. I do think that Clemson's going to be a lot better. Um, I'm kind of wincing and grinning my teeth when I'm just talking myself into this, but I do think that's the one for me. If I had to pick one, I guess I would go there. I think, uh, I think it's certainly possible, but I also think like we've, we've spent a lot of time talking down Clemson. And at the end of the day, this is still a team. I mean, the thing with Clemson is, even you know, I know we're all curious to see Garrett Riley and Clay Kate Klubnick and what the effect is, you know, they're going to be great on defense. Like that, that hasn't really changed. And so if, if Duke is all about Riley Leonard and how he's going to perform, like there's, there's not very much chance that like they're going to light up the scoreboard against Clemson. Probably not. I mean, Mike Elko does a really good job and I, I, I would agree. Um, but I'm, I'm almost apologetic in picking, picking this one. Uh, all right. What do you say we get to the mailbag? As always, send your questions with the audible pod at gmail.com. And the first question is 
Blaine in Virginia, dear Bruce and Stu, which Power Five coach and program that has been left for dead has a great season and makes fans embarrassed to have ever doubted it? Ongoing with Dino Babers at Syracuse. Who do you come up with, Stu? Do you agree with that? I do not agree with that. I don't have. I mean, you could if somebody wants to convince me of that, sure. But I just feel like Syracuse teased us a little bit last year, got off to a hot start. They lost that game at Clemson that they probably could have won, and it just like went completely downhill from there. He lost both coordinators. He's bringing in Rocky Long. Who Could you have told me Rocky Long was still in coaching uh, to be the defensive coordinator? That's not one I would necessarily say. Is it too obvious to say Jimbo and A&M? Or I guess they're a top 25 team, so I can't really say that. Um, coach and program you've left for dead. Well, let me ask you this. Everybody has left West Virginia and Neil Brown for dead. Is there any chance they pull a surprise on us? Um, there's a chance. I'm not feeling it though. I just, I just feel like they're a, they're a five and seven team, and that may be even optimistic. Well, one team I'm very high on that I don't think the coach is on the hot seat, but people have definitely like forgotten about them and and not left them for Maryland. Um, I think. They're poised for a big season. I picked them to go nine and three. If they were to win the bowl game and win 10 games, they haven't done that since Ralph Friedgen. Um, it'll, you know, definitely build a lot of momentum around that program right at the right time when they're finally not going to be in the Big Ten East with all those big names. Mike Loxley's not on the hot seat at all, just to be clear, but he's also not, nobody's talking about Maryland football. So that would be a big transformation for that program. Uh, I got one for you. Here's one. Okay. Ryan Silverfield, very much in the hot seat at Memphis. Wow, Stu, you reading my mind. This is my answer. Okay, tell us. All right. So, yeah, he was fortunate. He did not get the plug pulled at the end of last year. Really good offensive line coach. Has struggled getting traction there. He has a really good quarterback, Seth Hennigan. Uh, they've added some transfers on defense that I think will really help. One in particular who is on uh, our list, mine and Max's, uh, the other day. I think they have a chance to really surprise some people. Um, again, this is a job. It's it's a fairly coveted job. And I think this is a, a, a guy who may end up saving his saving his job there. Because when I look at their, you know, Hennigan's probably one of the best group of five coaches. I think they have a good chance to start out 3-0. and And then it gets a little harder. They got you know, Boise, Boise and Mizzou come in there and then they play Tulane. I think all three of those games in a row are at home. You know, again, I don't, I don't think they're going to be like a 10 win team, but I think they can get to seven or eight and I think he can save his job. So there's a very interesting situation here. I've never really thought about it. Um, this is a coach on the hot seat who's hanging on for his job. And it just so happens that his conference just got a lot easier uh, you know, no Cincinnati, no Houston, no UCF. They're bringing up a bunch of teams from Conference USA. Some of them aren't even good Conference USA teams. Um, that alone is going to help him save his job, don't you think? I think so. And you look at some of this, like once they get through that stretch of Mizzou, Boise, and Tulane, then it's UAB. It's a road game, but it's a new coach. North Texas, also road game, new coach. USF, new coach. Charlotte new coach it's like four games in a row where it's all you know total rebuilds there so i think they can get to 
I think they can get to seven or eight wins. I mean, like their quarterback is better than almost all the quarterbacks. Um, not certainly not better than than Pratt at Tulane, but I think their quarterback is better than almost all these guys. Maybe maybe not Bohannon at USF in Alex Golish's offense, but um, I I think he's every bit as good as almost all. You know, Talon Green at at Boise's big time athlete, but. Um, I think Seth Hennigan's really, really good. Bruce, I see a lot more than one reply to your thing, so I'm going to ask you one. Jake Hilleman, uh, we, we solicited some questions on Twitter as well. How hot is Mel Tucker's seat at Michigan State? Will a disappointing season be it for him? I don't know if Jake's aware of the contract situation there. Yeah, I don't think it's hot at all. I mean, I think the, the administration went all in on Mel Tucker. I think because he had a surprising level of big success early in his tenure there, but I think they feel confident he's going to keep building that thing. Um, remember, he had all that success. It was they they went heavy into the portal. I, obviously, Kenneth Walker was the biggest piece, but they, um, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of maybe a little. I don't want to say apprehension. There's a little more angst probably now, but I don't think he's on a hot seat at all. No, I mean, I I do think it was in hindsight you know, way premature to give him that guaranteed contract, huge guaranteed contract. They hadn't even completed the first season or not the, his first season, but the, the big season in 2021. But I mean, to fire Mel Tucker would probably cost 80, 90 million. He signed a 10 year, $95 million extension in 2021. So that is, you still got, I mean, it's Jimbo Fisher territory is what it is. And I just don't think I could see the A&M boosters, Poning up for that. I can't see the Michigan State boosters poning up for that. Here's an interesting one from Andy Cuomo. What's your expectations for Coastal Carolina down in Conway? What do you consider a good first season under new coach Tim Beck? The Chanticleers are coming your way for week one uh, to face UCLA. Obviously, you know, I think Jamie Chadwell, that's a pretty significant loss, but they do still have Grayson McCall. They do. Grayson McCall, you know, he's a lot He's basically either some combination of their Sam Ellinger, Tim Tebow, in terms of just a guy that everybody has tons of respect for inside the program, is a great leader, is a really good running quarterback. Um, I think they're going to miss. I think they're going to miss Jamie Chadwell, to be honest. Um, I think they may take a little bit of a step back. I, I, I don't think they're going to get UCLA on the road. Um it's just a long trip for them. I mean, I, I still think they're they're going to be formidable and they'll move the ball because Danton Lee is a first-time defensive coordinator, and this is a you know he's coming from the NFL. Not to say that they're not going to be prepared for it, but I just think it's like this will present some some unique challenges. Um, I think this is a really good league they're in. You know, if yep. you told me this the Sun Belt is comparable to the AAC right now, I wouldn't I wouldn't take a huge like. I, maybe I, better. It might I mean, be. It really may be better. There's some some really good programs there. There's a lot of really. Now, good- Coastal was one of those really good programs the last few years. I don't have a lot of faith in Tim Beck. Uh, I don't even know that he was that respected uh, assistant. And let me uh, let me just put it this way: if Chadwell were still there, that would be my week one upset pick. I would take them against UCLA uh, in a heartbeat. But I don't have much faith in Tim Beck. Is really basically what it comes down to. Hi, Stu and Bruce. Excited for another football season listening to the podcast. I would love to hear y'all's thoughts on the Big 12 commissioner's remarks about tech getting the job done, quote unquote, against Texas at Thanksgiving. Are we being 
oversensitive or should commissioners not have a bias even with an exiting team from Nicole Davis? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, Brett Yormark's definitely a different breed. And so I guess it's not all that surprising that he came out and said the quiet part out loud. But I think that was really dumb because college football fans always think the officiating is out to get them as it is. And now he's basically given Texas and Oklahoma fans every reason to think anytime a bad call goes against them, that the fix is in. The commissioner wants them to lose. He he ordered the hit. Um, you're gonna you're gonna have that all year long. You might have had that all year long anyway. But when the commissioner of the conference makes it clear that he's not a neutral party, I mean, the, what happens if there's some bad calls? What happens if there's some controversial calls? That's what I'm saying. If there's some controversial calls that go against them, um, they're all gonna because what you and I consider a conspiracy theory. To a fan of a team who's got an invested, in, uh, got a huge investment in the result, it's re- it can be real. There was a game last year against Oklahoma State where I think Texas got fourteen penalties, and Oklahoma State got zero, and and that was enough for you know a total meltdown. And by the way, this isn't going to be just OU and Texas. I think the teams, I'm sure USC fans are going to think the Pac-12 has it out for them. Um, you know, Washington and Oregon maybe as well. It's going to be, you know, a lot, it's a lot of lame duck years, which is going to lead to a lot of officiating theory, conspiracy theories. Your Mark was at a booster event in Lubbock when he said that. I'm sure he was just trying to get a, you know, a good round of applause, but it just sets the tone for the season that, you, you know, we've got it out for you, Texas. I, I think he's going to regret having said that now. I don't know really what the repercussions are, other than he's probably going to get a lot of angry emails if, uh, I just hope for his sake that there's not a game, a Texas involving Texas or Oklahoma that is like literally decided by a bad call at the end of the game. Cause he's never going to hear the end of it. No, I think you're right about that. Uh, as always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. Enjoy the games. We little will... programming note real quick. So we're going into the season. Normally we will do our recap show on Sunday morning, but because the Florida state LSU game, we're going to hold off until Monday morning this week. And then second episode of the week is when we'll go heavy mailbag and you should send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. Have fun. We'll talk to you on Labor Day. <laughs>